Well, today, I want to share with you about the topic of doubt. Every person struggles and wrestles with doubt at some point in their lives. Doubts about themselves, doubts about uh, what is happening in their life, about others, and what is happening with the world around them. In fact, the journey of faith is often filled with doubt, starting with believing if Jesus died on the cross for our sins and whether or not to accept Him as our Lord and Saviour. Now, even after believing and accepting, the journey will still be filled with episodes of doubt. That is why our spiritual journey is called the journey of faith. Because without doubts, we wouldn't need faith, correct? Now, in some Christian circles, doubt is often seen in a negative way. In fact, it is thought to be a bad word. You know, growing up as a Christian in the Word of Faith movement, you know, to have doubt often means to lack faith. Everything we say and think must only be in faith. To do so otherwise would be frowned upon and very quickly rebuilt with A. You cannot think like that, lah, or I reject that in Jesus' name. Or someone, sometimes someone would tell, I think you need deliverance. Now, those of you who have been long-time Christians know what I'm talking about, correct? So, what we have now is often an extreme between both approaches. The religious, legalistic approach to doubt where we ignore it completely, or the secular approach where we give in to it completely. But the Bible gives us a very balanced view of doubt, uh, where where we shouldn't totally ignore it or give in to it completely, but express it with a right balance. Now, this is demonstrated most clearly in the book of Psalm, where the psalmist shows us that we should neither deny our feelings nor deny ourselves from venting our feelings. But the book of Psalm shows us how to pray our feelings. Friends, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It is, in fact, an element of faith. You know, Timothy Keller describes it well when he says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith will fall if we fail to listen patiently to our own doubts. In fact, we should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts and not just discard it. We cannot just have blind faith. A person who has gone through the long and hard struggles with objections to their faith will then be able to provide grounds for his or her beliefs. Such a process will not only lead us to a position of strong faith, but to respect and understand those who doubt. You know, friends, all throughout the, all throughout the Scriptures, all throughout the Bible, we see examples of heroes, apostles, and men and women of great faith who doubted. When we study their lives, we see that God God doesn't, just, uh, God doesn't judge them for having doubts, but allows both doubt and faith to coexist, letting doubts be the fuel to build their, their faith stronger. Now, Mark 9 tells the story of the desperate father trying to find healing for his son who was demon-possessed. Now, this particular demon caused the boy uh, to become mute and uh, would often seize him, uh, throwing him into fire or water to try to kill him. So the man asked Jesus to have pity on him and to heal his son. And Jesus responded by telling him, all things are possible for the one who believes. Now, when the man hears this, he replies to Jesus, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. You see, it was a simple, heartfelt prayer that Jesus readily answered by healing his son. Now, he commanded the demon to come out and restored the boy to health and also wholeness. So as you can, so you can see, the man asked for Jesus for help with his doubts, and Jesus helped him. 
Next is the example of John the Baptist. Now, if there's any person in the Bible who should have no reason to doubt, it should be John the Baptist. Now, why do I say this? Because this is the man who was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. This is the man who came out of the wilderness proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. And this is the man who baptized Jesus, witnessed the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove and heard the audible voice of God. Yet, at the end of his life, while rotting in a prison cell, he doubted. And he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? But Jesus didn't scold him for asking. He didn't say, John, you shouldn't doubt. Or, John, you shouldn't ask me questions like this. No, Jesus did not. Instead, Jesus performed miracles in front of John's disciples and sent them back to testify, even referencing a prophecy about himself that John would understand. Again, you see, friends, John asked for reassurance, and Jesus was happy to give him that assurance. Amen? Of course, let's not miss out the most famous doubter of all, Thomas. Now, Thomas is often referred to as Doubting Thomas, but I don't think that is completely accurate. You see, Thomas was actually more of a skeptic than a doubter, which was quite reasonable considering the situation. You see, the resurrected Jesus had appeared to the other disciples, but when they told Thomas about it, he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them. You know, the hole which the nail went through and place my hand into the wound in his side. Can you believe what this fellow just asked? He wanted to poke the wounds two times. <laughs> all right, so this guy uh, got problem, all right? Now, of course, in all fairness, resurrections are not something that happens every day. That is why it is called a miracle. So for Thomas to ask for evidence to back up the claims was perfectly rational and also intelligent. But when Jesus finally appeared to Thomas, he didn't shame him for his skepticism. Instead, Jesus said, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe, Thomas. And so friends, what we see here are two crucial points. Jesus offered Thomas evidence before instructing him to believe. And when Thomas asked for evidence, Jesus gave it to him. So again, you see, God doesn't condemn us when we doubt, but he does get angry when we doubt wrongly. Now, what do I mean by that? Friends, there's a kind of doubt that is good and a kind that is bad. You see, doubt is good when it activates faith. You know, when faith is required, you know, faith is required only when you have doubts, when you are uncertain. But when the uncertainty is gone, doubts are gone, and faith is no longer required. Now, let me give you an illustration. You know, when the uh, AZ vaccine was first introduced to Malaysia, you know, many people had doubts about it, correct? Now, why? Because there were news that it would cause blood clots. Nevertheless, to create trust in a vaccine, the government offered it to those who would volunteer to take it. Now, those who took the first batch knew that if they wanted to get their vaccines fast, you know, to protect themselves and also their families, then they had to take a step of faith and trust the AZ vaccine, in spite of the possibility of blood clots. 
and when everything went well for the first batch of people with no side effects, the uncertainty was gone. The doubts were gone. Trust in a vaccine was established and faith to take it was no longer required anymore. All right? Now, we all know what happened next, right? The second batch was so in demand that it crashed the entire system and many people didn't manage to get a slot. So you see, doubt is required so that faith can be activated. There is nothing great in life you want to achieve that doesn't include doubt and requires faith. Try dating someone without having doubt and faith, all right? Try getting married without having doubt and faith. Try starting a business, a career, or making an investment without having doubt and faith, especially if you are investing in crypto right now. You need a lot of doubt and faith, all right? So doubt is a good thing when it makes faith and trust possible. Amen? Amen? Secondly, doubt is good when it adds humility to faith. You see, doubt is a wonderful reminder that we are not God. It is one of the forms of suffering that can produce um, character. Now, part of trusting God is trusting that He will give us the answers when the time is right. Now, the problem with having absolute faith is that sometimes it makes us overconfident. Now, when we become overconfident, uh, we think that we know everything about God. And that keeps us from knowing the truth about ourselves. Now, sometimes we think we know uh, so well what God wants for our lives uh, uh, and what God wants us to do, right? But the reality is that what we really want is our own desires and not God's. A little doubt thus keeps our spirit in check. Amen? Now, the book of Job is the story of a man filled with doubts because of the challenges uh, and the trials that he went through in life. He doubted God's character. He doubted God's goodness. He questioned God's uh, absence and silence during his suffering. In fact, the only people that were full of faith were Job's friends, all right? And they tried to speak on behalf of God to try to cure Job of his doubt. But you know what? When God spoke, he was actually not angry with Job, but with his friends, because they have not spoken of him what was right, unlike Job. Somehow, there was more faith in Job's honest doubts and confusion than his friend's pious faith and certainty. So you see, religious and self-righteous people have the tendency to lack the humility of uncertainty. Amen? Amen? Thirdly, doubt is good when it causes us to seek the truth. Francis Bacon in his book, The Advancement of Learning, says this, If a man will begin with certainties, he shall end in doubts. But if he will be content to begin with doubts, he shall end in certainties. You know, the more we want to be committed to Jesus, the more we need to be committed to seeking the truth about Jesus. Because it is impossible to trust Jesus if deep down in our hearts and minds, we don't trust that He is what He says He is, that He will do what He says He will do. And there is no better way to find that trust until we wrestle and struggle in our faith till we come to see and conclude that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and also the life. Amen? So doubt motivates us to do that. Okay? All right? Fourthly, doubt is good when it leads to growth. When you choose to stay committed even though you don't have complete certainty, when you choose to stay joyful and courageous, um, um, 
carry yourself with poise and confidence in the midst of uncertainty, you will grow to become more faithful. When you are, when you are uncertain, yet still care for others and also for God, you will grow in maturity. And when you are uncertain, yet stay cheerful, you will develop strength and character as a person. You know, when we recite, those of you that are married, all right, when we recite our wedding vows uh, for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. You know, what we are essentially saying is this, what matters is not certainty, but faithfulness, all right? So, and so friends, this is basically how we should approach God. Because our lives will be filled with uncertainties, setbacks, uh, defeats, and also heartbreaks. But when we choose to stay faithful to God, we will grow in faith, maturity, strength, poise, and also character. Amen, amen. And so, we've learned about when doubt is good, correct? What about when doubt is bad? You know, doubt is bad when it leads to skepticism. You know, the skeptic is someone who says, I'm not going to commit because there is not enough evidence. Now, although this reasoning sounds uh, objective and rational on the surface, but underneath the surface of the skeptic is this, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be hurt. Thus, I don't want to be over-trusting. Now, underneath the surface of the skeptic is fear. Fear of being disappointed. The skeptic says, I would rather stand on the sidelines and look like an intelligent observer than risk trusting and losing. A skeptic would rather stay safe and appear to be right than take the risk of trusting and losing. But what it, what it does instead is it robs the person of confidence and hope and the blessing and the possibilities that come from having faith. Skepticism, friends, is an opportunity robber. You guys get what I'm saying? All right? Now, secondly, doubt is bad when it leads to cynicism. All right? Now, what is more serious than being a, uh, a, skeptical, a skeptical is being cynical. All right? Now, unlike skeptics, people driven by cynicism are not so much looking for answers as they are offering conclusions. You know, they offer conclusions about the world through the lens of their own negative biases. You know, they will, they will say things like, uh, the world is not fair. You know, people can't be trusted. Things always become worse. Uh, bad things always happen to good people. And good things only happen to other people. All right? God is not real. Therefore, I might as well don't think about him at all. Now, let me tell you what is the difference between a skeptic and a cynic. All right? When you give a skeptic a hug, <laughs> he will doubt if you really mean it. And when you give a cynic a hug, he will check to see if you have stolen his wallet. All right? Anyone knows of someone like that? Okay? Now, underneath the surface of a cynic is a wounded idealist. Now, because of past hurts and disappointments, cynics make conclusions about life before questions have ever been asked. Now, this means that beyond seeing what is wrong with the world, cynics lack, cynics lack the courage to do something about it. At the core of the cynic is a fear of accepting responsibility. When, we've, when faced with difficult decisions or uh, unpopular choices, 
uh, cynics wash their hands and say, ah, whatever lah, or it's someone else's fault, all right? Now, both skeptics and cynics don't want to give their opinions. But a cynic is worse in that they criticize those that do. And when deciding whether or not to accept, commit, or serve God, the cynic always wants to know first what the benefits are before they go in. What blessings will I get, Lord, if I accept and serve you? These are the questions that cynics ask. These are the questions that the cynics think about. All right, this is their, this is their train of thought. All right, so tell your friends, don't be a cynic, all right? Tell your friends, don't be a cynic, okay? So, so friends, do you see uh, uh, when, when doubt is good and when doubt is bad, all right? To put all the points into context, I want to show you from the Bible an example of someone who doubted the right way. That person was Mary. You know, Luke chapter 1, verse 28 to 38 is the well-known account of the angel of the Lord's encounter with Mary telling her that she is pregnant with the Messiah. Now, this encounter shows us a model of how doubt, doubting the right way looks like. You know, Mary questioned. She used her reason and she asked questions. But it was through that process that her faith became strong and also lasting. And so the account tells us that the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Now, Mary was greatly troubled, the scripture says, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will receive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am still a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the, and the, power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And so Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the Bible says, the angel left her. You see, friends, as you can see from the encounter, Mary had doubts. You know, when Mary first hears the message of God from the angels, she does not immediately believe. But instead, it says in verse 29, it says in verse 29 that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You know, the text says that she wondered, which means that she was weighing and also pondering. You know, in the original Greek, uh, the word wondered uh, was more like an accounting term. Uh, to make an audit, to add things up. In other words, Mary was rationalizing. It also says that she was troubled. Now, this is a normal reaction, all right? Because she has just seen an angel and she is questioning if what she's seeing is real. Verse 34 shows us that she does not immediately accept the message but instead ask, how will this be? Now, this is actually just a polite way of saying, 
this is crazy, Lord. This is impossible. Now, all of us have some point, have at some point, you know, in our spiritual journey, reacted with doubt and disbelief at the words and the promises of God. You know, there have been times when God has called us to do something, um, and we think that it is impossible, and we think that it is crazy. You know, we think that God is crazy, all right? And so did Mary. But she doesn't stop the process and the conversation. She says next in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know, you realize that she's not saying, yes, I get it completely, Lord. I love this plan. I'm all in. No, she does not. But instead, she's saying, it doesn't make sense to me right now. But nevertheless, I will pursue, Lord, and I will follow. You know, friends, sometimes some of us go through this stage. And it is all right to be in this stage, at least for a little while. You see, not everyone immediately embraces Jesus, accepts His words, obeys His calling, or believes His promises. Some of us need time, and some won't move forward until it all makes sense, makes sense to us uh, rationally, emotionally, and also personally. But sometimes, we can only do what Mary does, which is to take small steps forward in trust, despite the fears, the doubts, and also reservations. You know, it was only when she met her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, that it finally all, that it all finally comes together for her. You know, Elizabeth, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, confirms what the angel said to Mary. And this gives Mary a deeper assurance of faith. Verse 46 to 47 says that she lifts up her voice with her whole heart and says, My soul glorifies, my spirit rejoices. You know, Mary finally connects all the dots together. All that was spoken by the angels, plus all that happened to her, plus all the promises and the prophecies of the Bible. When all those evidences came together, she finally submitted not just her will, but also her heart, fully and also joyfully. You see, friends, in the end, faith always moves beyond our mind to include also our will and also, and, and also our emotions. Amen. Amen. And so, friends, why does faith sometimes take different times and follow different paths? You know, this is because true faith it's not something that we can simply decide or determine. It is not a process we can control. Do you know that to believe in Jesus is not something we are capable to do on our own? You know, we can't simply decide to develop faith and then carry out our plans. No, we can't. God has to open our hearts and help us to break through. True Christian faith is therefore the realization that God first came to us, revealing things to us and helping us to see what is true. And unless He comes and reveals Himself to us, just like He did to Mary, we would never find Him. The story of Mary thus reminds us that we cannot standardize the Christian experience. Her experience shows us that conversion, acceptance and faith come at different speeds and stages to different people. And therefore, we cannot and should not standardize when and how they should happen. 
You know, this is something so crucial for us to understand and accept in our own spiritual faith and also our journey. And also for those we are leading in a spiritual walk. We should not assume that everyone's faith and journey is the same. The fact is that sometimes believing too fast is not always a good thing. People who do that might look like they have great faith, but have a tendency to either quickly burn out or become flaky, self-righteous and judgmental. You know, we all know of friends who used to be so zealous and committed, but are no longer serving or in church anymore. Or, or you know, all of us know a friend like that. On the other hand, someone who is slow to believe might look like they lack faith, but is actually pondering, thinking, and rationalizing what they have received. Strong faith, friends, is oftentimes slowly built. And in the end, always involve the mind, will, and emotions. You know, Mary was in the middle. That's what I like about Mary. Mary was in the middle. She neither believed blindly or had unbelief. Her faith journey was neither too fast or too slow. But it was through that process that her faith was strong and lasting. And perhaps, friends, perhaps, this is a model of what a faith journey is all about. Amen. Amen. One last thing. You know, we are told earlier in Luke, in Luke 1 that the angel of the Lord also appeared to a man by the name of Zechariah, Mary's, cousins, Mary's cousin Elizabeth's husband. In other words, uh, Mary's uh, cousin-in-law, all right? And the angel spoke almost exactly the same words to him, saying, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And Zechariah's response was almost, uh, was almost completely similar to Mary when he said, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. You see, friends, both of them had doubts. One because she was still a virgin, and the other because his wife was too old. But while God patiently engaged Mary, Zechariah angered God. And God made him unable to speak, made him mute until his son was born. And so we ask, why was one punished and the other not? Why were both treated differently? Well, here is the crucial difference. Mary doubted, but she had an open heart. Zechariah also doubted, but he had a closed heart. And so you see, some doubts allow the possibility of God to work and some doubts are a shield against the possibility of God to work. Let me say that again. Some doubts allow the possibility of God to work and some doubts are a shield against the possibility of God to work. There are people like Mary who keep their hearts open to God in spite of doubts. But then there are also people like Zechariah who use doubts as a way to keep their heart and mind closed and to stay in control. God's punishments, God's punishment towards Zechariah, although seemingly harsh and unfair, was out of love for a man whose doubt was leading him down the wrong path, the wrong way, the wrong trajectory. So let us ask ourselves today, what kind of doubt do we have? 
Do we doubt towards God or away from God? Do we doubt towards faith or do we doubt away from faith? Friends, doubt is directional. If there's one thing most crucial we must learn today, it is this. Which direction you doubt towards is crucial to leading a life of faith, hope and possibilities. Or leading a life of fear, anxiety and also cynicism. Some of you here today, because of all the challenges that you face in your life, especially these past two years, the unending pandemic that has taken away so much from you, the loss of a loved one from the disease, or still, there are those that you know, they are still suffering from the disease. You know, I've personally lost three family members who died these past three months alone. And one aunt who is still in the hospital right now in Jakarta. I have friends which are seeing their lives or work crumble from the pandemic. Their business, their career that they built for so many years, all losing it one by one. You know, for some of you, it's not because of the pandemic. You are hit by something unexpected. A medical condition that is forcing you to stop everything. A betrayer that has caused you to lose everything. You're facing so much uncertainty. You're feeling hopeless and anxious. The setbacks, the defeats, and the unanswered prayers. There are also those of you who once had dreams and goals that you wanted to achieve. Things you've prayed and believed so hard and so long for. But as, but as the years passed, those dreams seemed further and further away. And you doubt it's ever going to happen. You open Instagram and you see your friends posting. There are things that I have now that I once prayed for. <laughs> and you think, yeah, right. Need you how long? Alright? It's not happening to me. What about those of you who have been hoping and praying for years for a right person to come into your life? But it has not happened. That person never came. That relationship just never worked out. You had big dreams for a future with that person. You know, there are so many examples of doubts that I just can't mention them all. You know, right now, you have begun to doubt the goodness of God. You are no longer sure if God is with you and for you. You are slowly becoming cynical. You are starting to think, the world is not fair. Things always become worse. People just can't be trusted. This is how my life is going to be. There is no more hope. You know, one thing we should realize about Mary was the amount of doubt she had to face besides the two right in front of her. Being told that she was going to give birth to the Messiah and that she was pregnant even though she's still a virgin. Now, besides those two, she would also, have to, she would also be facing the aftermath and all the consequences of keeping her faith in God and also obeying. You know, in her traditional conservative society, she will be accused of bearing an illegitimate child, of having sex before marriage, or being unfaithful to Joseph. And worse, after the child is born, 
her son would be called a bastard. Mary was looking at a life of disgrace. You know, we ought to understand that, like, we, we ought to understand, like, that, like, so many of us with dreams and future, of a future life. You know, Mary would have, Mary would also have dreamt of marrying a great husband like Joseph. You know, they would have, they would both have great careers. She would uh, be a successful working mom. You know, they would have three kids, a semi-D, probably a Merce or a BMW. And go to Japan every year for holiday, all right? Go to Tokyo for the Olympics. You know, she will be invited to give talks in Moms Connect and Compass. She would be admired and respected by everyone. But all those dreams have now been thrown into doubt. Nevertheless, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. It doesn't make sense to me right now. But nevertheless, I will pursue and I will follow. You see, Mary doubted towards God. She doubted with faith. Friends, it is okay to have doubts. In fact, it is natural to have doubts. But what is crucial is the direction of your doubts. When you have doubts, doubt towards God. Keep your mind and your heart focused towards Him. Like the desperate father, like John the Baptist, like Thomas, and like Mary. Let God give you the evidences. What do I mean by the evidences, alright? Let Him reveal His grace to you. Let Him bring you through tough situations. Let Him open doors for you. Let Him heal and deliver you. But all this requires you to doubt towards Him. Doubt with faith. Because God cannot do those things for you if you are cynical towards Him. God cannot reveal Himself to you if you don't seek Him. God cannot show you evidence of Himself if you don't seek the evidence of Him. Amen? We need to seek the evidence of Him. Imagine, friends, imagine if Mary doubted away from God. The story of Christ would have been so different. Because she doubted towards God, she became one of the greatest women in history. The mother of the Saviour of the world, which all generations call blessed. And therefore, friends, let us not doubt away from God and miss out on the great plans God has for our lives. Amen. Right now, even though your situation isn't good, our world and economy are in a mess, your dreams and your goals seem so far away at the moment. Like Mary, let us take small steps in trust in spite of our fears, our doubts and also reservations. Trust God that He will lead you one small step at a time. Through the tough times, you might not see what is the final outcome. But one thing is for sure, is that when we trust God, he will always lead us to the best possible outcome, the best plan for our life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Lord, I pray for every person watching today 
that is going through doubt in their life. Thought about their future, thought about their business, their career, and also their finances. Thought about their studies, about their relationship, about what is going, hap- what is going to happen in their life because of health issues. You know, we don't have the answers. And there are things our human strength and abilities just can't do. That is why we doubt. But Lord, today we resolve to doubt towards you. To have faith in spite of our doubts. And perhaps this is what living by grace means. Lord, we surrender our lives totally and wholly to you, knowing and trusting that you will lead us through. And not only that, lead us to place us above and beyond what we expect and imagine. This is your promise. And we hold on to that in faith, in spite of doubts. Amen, amen, amen. I trust that you have been impacted by the word that we have prepared for you today. I know God is doing a work on the inside of you. So it is my desire, it is my prayer that the word will change you from the inside out. And if you have been impacted and you want to be a part of what we're doing in spreading the word of God to the ends of the earth, you want to partner with us, I want to ask you, challenge you, encourage you, inspire you to give to our work so that whatever that we're doing can continually be done and we can do it better and we can do it far further to the entire ends of the world. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. God bless you and looking forward to having you soon. Take care now. God bless and bye-bye.